Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bible Podcast. And today we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapters 21 through 24. And before we begin, I wanted to start out with a prayer. Dear God, thank you that you are a loving, gracious God. Thank you that you've offered us forgiveness and the gift of new life in you. Thank you for... Thank you that your love is perfect and never fails and that nothing can separate us from your love. We pray that our lives will be filled and overflowing with the power of your love so we can make a difference in this world and bring honor to you. We ask for your help in reminding us that the most important things are not what we do outwardly. It's not based on any talent or gift. But the most significant thing we can do in this life is simply to love you and to choose to love others. Lord, thank you that your love is patient. Help us show patience with those around us. Lord, thank you that your love is kind. Help us to extend kindness to others. Lord, thank you that True love is not jealous. Help us cast aside feelings of jealousy or hatred towards others. Lord, thank you that your love does not brag and is not arrogant. Help us not to live with pride or arrogance, but to choose to walk with humility and grace. Lord, thank you that true love does not act unbecomingly. Lord, help us to extend kindness instead of rudeness towards others. Help us to lay aside the critical tone and tearing down with our words so that we can truly walk in peace. Lord, thank you that true love does not seek its own. Lord, help us not to live selfishly, looking only to your own interests. Lord, thank you that true love is not provoked. Lord, help us not to become easily angered. Help us not to be so quickly reactive, but instead slowly to speak and slow to become angry. Lord, thank you that your love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Lord, help us not to hold grudges, but to choose to forgive even when it's difficult. Lord, thank you that your love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Lord, help us to love your words of truth. May we walk in your freedom and wisdom. Let it be what drives our lives and choices every day. Lord, thank you that your love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Thank you that your love never fails. Help us to love as you love. Fill us with your spirit so that we can choose what is best. We are weak, Lord, but we know also that even when we are weak, you are strong within us. Thank you that it's not all up to us. Thank you that you equip us to face each day with the power of your love, your forgiveness, and your grace.
We love you, Lord. And we need you today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. First Samuel chapter 21 David runs from Saul David went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech the priest Ahimelech trembled when he saw him Why are you alone he asked Why is no one with you The king sent me on a private matter David said He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here I have told my men where to meet me later Now what is there to eat Give me 5 loaves of bread or anything else you have We don't have any regular bread the priest replied But there is the holy bread which you can have if your young men have not slept with any women recently Don't worry David replied I never allow my men to be with women when we are on a campaign and since they stay clean even on ordinary trips how much more on this one Since there was no other food available the priest gave him the holy bread the bread of the presence that was placed before the Lord in the tabernacle it had just been replaced that day with fresh bread now Doeg the Adamite Saul's chief herdsman was there that day having been detained before the Lord David asked Ahimelech do you have a spear or sword the king's business was so urgent that I didn't have time to grab a weapon. I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. The priest replied, "It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take that if you want it, for there is nothing else here. There is nothing like it." David replied, "Give it to me." So David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish of Gath. But the officers of Achish were unhappy about his being there. Isn't this David the king of the land? They asked. Isn't he the one the people honor with dances and singing? Saul has killed his thousands and David his 10,000s. David heard these comments and was very afraid of what King Achish of Gath might do to him. So he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. Finally King Achish said to his men must you bring me a madman we already have enough of them around here why should i let someone like this be my guest here in uh, chapter 21 in verses 1 and 2 we're reminded of the book of proverbs and the book of proverbs tells us There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. In his encounter with Ahimelech, David revealed that he was capable of making wrong choices. He lied, and a single lie led to others. God values honesty, 
Even minor indiscretions can have devastating effects on the lives of others, especially the people close to us. Samuel chapter 22 David at the cave of Adullam So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam Soon his brothers and all the other relatives joined him there Then others began coming men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men Later David went to Mizpah in Moab where he asked the king Please allow my father and mother to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. So David's parents stayed in Moab with the king during the entire time David was living in his stronghold. One day the prophet Gad told David, leave the stronghold and return to the land of Judah. So David went to the forest of Hereth. The news of his arrival in Judah soon reached Saul. At the time, the king was sitting beneath the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah, holding his spear and surrounded by his officers. Listen here, you mean, you men of Benjamin. Saul shouted to his officers when he heard the news. Has that son of Jesse promised everyone of you fields and vineyards? Has he promised to make you all generals and captains in his army? Is that why you have conspired against me? For not one of you told me when my own son made a solemn pact with the son of Jesse. You're not even sorry for me. Think of it. My own son encouraging him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was standing there with Saul's men, spoke up. When I was at Nob, he said, I saw the son of Jesse taking, talking to the priest, Ahimelech, son of Ahitub. Ahimelech consulted the Lord for him. Then he gave him food and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. The Slaughter of the Priests King Saul immediately sent for Ahimelech and all his family who served as priests at Nob. When they arrived, Saul shouted at him, Listen to me, you son of Ahitub. What is it, my king? Ahimelech asked. Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me? Saul demanded. Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you consulted God for him? Why have you encouraged him to kill me? As he is trying to do this very day. But sir, Ahimelech replied, Is anyone among all your servants as faithful as David, your son-in-law? Why, he is the captain of your bodyguard, and a highly honored member of your household. This was certainly not the first time I had consulted God for him. May the king not accuse me and my family in this matter, for I knew nothing of all, nothing at all of any plot against you. You will surely die, Ahimelech, along with your entire family, the king shouted, and he ordered his bodyguards, kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. Then the king said to Doeg, you do it. So Doeg the Edomite 
turned on them and killed them that day, 85 priests in all, still wearing their priestly garments. Then he went to Nob, the town of the priests, and killed the priests' families, men and women, children and babies, and all the cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. Only Abiathar, one of the sons of Ahimelech, escaped and fled to David. When he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, David exclaimed, I knew it. When I saw Doeg the Anamite there that day, I knew he was sure to tell Saul. Now I have caused the death of all your father's family. Stay here with me and don't be afraid. I will protect you with my own life, for the same person wants to kill us both. So here in chapter 22, in verses 16 through 18, the priests in this passage are the innocent victims of Saul's mental illness. David's lie that we see in chapter 21, verse 2, and Doeg's desire to be accepted. David's apparently inconsequential lie became the catalyst for the sins of others. It gave Saul the opportunity to act without restraint. It gave Doeg the chance to try to get some attention. Sometimes the small lies we tell and the failures of others combine to bring great suffering to innocent people. In such times, telling the truth will often put a stop to the sins of other people, rather than perpetuating or compounding them. Honesty is always the best policy. First Samuel chapter 23 David protects the town of Keilah. One day news came to David that the Philistines were at Keilah, stealing grain from the threshing floors. David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? Yes, go and save Keilah. The Lord told him. But David's men said, we're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Keilah to fight the whole Philistine army. So David asked the Lord again, and again the Lord replied, Go down to Keilah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. So David and his men went to Keilah. They slaughtered the Philistines and took all their livestock and rescued the people of Keilah. Now when Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, he brought the ephod with him. Saul soon learned that David was at Keilah. Good, he exclaimed. We've got him now. God has handed him over to me, for he has trapped himself in a walled town. So Saul mobilized his entire army to march to Keilah and besiege David and his men. But David learned of Saul's plan and told Abiathar, the priest, to bring the ephod and ask the Lord what he should do. Then David prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, I have heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy Caleb because I am here. Will the leaders of Caleb betray me to him? And will Saul actually come as I have heard? O Lord, God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, He will come. Again David asked, Will the leaders of Caleb betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, Yes, they will betray you. David hides in the wilderness. 
So David and his men, about 600 of them now, left Kayla and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped. So he didn't go to Kayla after all. David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be the next to you. As my father, Saul, is well aware, so the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horesh. But now the men of Ziph went to Saul and Gibeah and betrayed David to him. We know where David is hiding, they said. He is in the strongholds of Horesh on the hill of Hakila, which is in the southern part of Jeshimon. Come down whenever you're ready, O king, and we'll catch him and hand him over to you. The Lord bless you, Saul said. At least someone is concerned about me. Go and check again to be sure of where he is staying and who has seen him there. For I know that he is very crafty. Discover his hiding place and come back when you are sure. Then I'll go with you. And if he is in the area at all, I'll track him down. Even if I have to search every hiding place in Judah. So the men of Ziph returned home ahead of Saul. Meanwhile, David and his men had moved into the wilderness of Mount in the Arabah Valley, south of Jeshimon. When David heard that Saul and his men were searching for him, he went even further into the wilderness, to the great rock. And he remained there in the wilderness of Maon. But Saul kept after him in the wilderness. Saul and David were now on opposite sides of the mountain. Just as Saul and his men began to close in on David and his men, an urgent message reached Saul that the Philistines were raiding Israel again. So Saul quit chasing David and returned to fight the Philistines. Ever since that time, the place where David was camped has been called the Rock of Escape. David then went to live in the strongholds of En Gedi. So here in chapter 23, in verses 1 through 9, we see that David repeatedly looked to God for direction in his life. He had grown accustomed to trusting God for direction during times of crisis. When God commanded David to lead his men against the Philistines at Keilah, David's men were afraid to act on the command. So David went to God a second time. And when he did... God affirmed his first commander, but also added a reassuring message. I will help you conquer the Philistines. Chapter 23, verse 4. Like David and his men, we may respond with fear to God's direction. But we can be sure that when God tells us to do something, he will stand by us each step of the way and help us gain the victory.
So also in verse 20, uh, sorry, in chapter 23, in verses uh, 14 and 15, the wonderful little phrase, but God didn't let Saul find David, must not be overlooked. Saul pursued David, but God protected, provided for, and persevered and preserved David's life. During the difficult years of running from Saul, David must often have felt alone and abandoned by God. But here we are told that God was working to protect David throughout that time. Even when things look bad for us, God is with us, protecting us in ways we do not know. He is indeed worthy of our confidence and trust. In verses 16 through 18, once Jonathan located David, he encouraged him to find his strength in God. Jonathan was aware of the fearsome difficulties David faced, but he also knew that God was equal to the task. We often face problems too big for us alone, but God is bigger than the worst of them. At times, we may wonder what we have to offer others, We can always do what Jonathan did for David. We can remind them that God is with them and that he is greater than any problem they may face. First Samuel chapter 24, David spares Saul's life. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let him kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My lord, the king, And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I am trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. 
I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you. Even though you have been haunting for me to kill me, may the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate, and he will rescue me from your power. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry, and he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. You... Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that in the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. Here in chapter 24 in verses 4 through 6, we see that David refused to follow the counsel of his men to kill Saul. Even the small act of cutting off a piece of Saul's robe troubled David's conscience. Despite all that had happened, David's respect for the king and his position remained intact. Despite the temptation of the situation of Saul's obvious vulnerability, David wisely restrained himself. David's intelligent response suggests two principles vital to spiritual growth. One, we need to be careful to assess the advice we get from the people around us, even from our close friends. And two, our conscience must be tuned in to what God desires for a situation, not what may be an easy way out. So before we finish out this stretch of chapters, I wanted to talk a little bit about David. And you probably already know David as the greatest king of ancient Israel. You know that he was the author of dozens of psalms. You might know he was a talented singer and musician. He was all these things, but he was something else too. The Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. What did David do that made him so special to God? Was he perfect, able to keep a total check on his baser urges? Hardly. David had an explosive temper and could act rashly. 
He became a fierce warrior who never flinched at eliminating his enemies. And David also had quite an eye for the ladies. While most Bible readers know of his adultery with Bathsheba, fewer recall about his first six sons were born to six different wives. What then made David a man after God's own heart? How did he become the apple of God's eye? Two things seem to stand out. First, David loved the Lord with all his heart and always tried to put God first. Twice during the agonizing years when King Saul tried repeatedly to kill him, David had a golden opportunity to eliminate his tormentor, but he refused. Why? He explained, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. David honored God above all, including himself. Second, when confronted with sin, David habitually confessed his fault, turned from his offense, and sought forgiveness. Unlike his predecessor, Saul, who typically denied his guilt and then blamed others for it, when backed into a corner, David humbled himself and could say to God, Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. What made David a special man of God was a humble heart that freely admitted its faults and continually sought after God. Do you want to be a man or woman after God's own heart? Then seek these two qualities in your life. The point in all this, a heart for God wins God's own heart. So today, from our reading, as a fugitive, David stops in Nob because he needs food and weapons. Ahimelech the priest seems suspicious, and David lies to protect his own life. This is like this is less like Rahab's lie to protect the spies, and more like Abraham's lie that Sarah was his sister. It's about saving himself, not others. And it suggests he doesn't believe God's promise to make him king. He breaks another law by eating the holy bread, which is only for priests. Ahimelech makes a concession here. People over process. And it's hard to know how to feel about it at the time. However, Jesus refers to this rule bending as a reminder that inherent in the law is the spirit of the law which is that God values mercy over law. Doeg, the Edomite, is there too, probably as a prisoner of war. He watches closely, maybe thinking any information he gains can serve as his ticket to freedom. He sees David take Goliath's sword and flee to enemy territory. In a Philistine region to escape Saul. David meets Akish, 
lord of the city of Gath, who recognizes him. David may have wanted to offer himself as a mercenary, but the Gath locals are suspicious of him. So he acts insane and flees back to Judah. He and his family live in a cave. Their lives may be at stake too because because of him. He assembles a ragtag bunch of outcast followers, 400 men in distress, in debt, bitter, and discontent. They head east to Moab across the Jordan, and David drops his parents off. They're old and unfit for life on the lamb. Moabites and Israelites are enemies, but David's great-grandmother, Ruth, was a Moabite. So he has roots in the land. Also, he and the Moabites now share a common enemy, Saul. He heads back west across the Jordan and stays at a stronghold in the desert until a prophet warns him to leave and he moves to a forest. Saul gets suspicious that all his servants and troops have betrayed him. So Doeg the Anamite seizes the opportunity to prove he's no traitor and spills the beans. Saul summons Ahimelech and the priest from Nob and accuses him, but he pleads innocent and ignorant. Still, Saul orders Doeg to kill them all, and 85 priests die. Saul's army kills everyone in Nob too, including animals, but Ahimelech's son, Abiathar, escapes and fills David in. David pledges loyalty to him, and Abiathar becomes his priest for life. Meanwhile, Calah in Judah is attacked by the Philistines. So David consults with God, who promises and grants victory. Saul gets word of David, of David's whereabouts and tries to chase him. But God gives David the inside scoop, so Saul can't find them. Next, David and his crew go to the wilderness of Ziph, and Jonathan shows up and acknowledges that both he and his father know David is Israel's next king. Meanwhile, some people from Ziph tip Saul off that David is there. Saul heads that way, but as soon as David is within sight, Saul gets word that the Philistines have attacked, and he has to rush back to war, foiled again. You'll never get what God won't give. Next, David moves to an oasis called Engedi. When Saul comes to find him, he brings 3,000 men. While David and his guys are in a cave, Saul comes in to relieve himself. David's men quote God's promise as a reason for him to take action. But we don't actually see that God said these things to David. So it's possible they're inventing promises or misapplying something they've heard. David wisely resists their words. His trust in God enables him to wait. Well, David cuts off part of, his, of Saul's robe, which lets him prove his intentions to Saul. David has no faith in the king, but he shows respect for the king and faith in God all at once. He trusts God's sovereignty over even the length of this wicked ruler's reign. He knows it will come to an end in God's perfect timing. 
God has incredible timing. From a surprise attack by the Philistines that pulls Saul away at the last minute to Saul's need to relieve himself just as he approaches the very cave where David is hiding. Everything we saw today was so perfectly timed that it almost read like a chore- like choreography. God invites us into this dance with him in which he guides his kids, always making a way to fulfill his plans no matter what attacks the enemy has in mind. He leads us so well, and he's where the joy is. That concludes our reading today, and I just want to leave you all off with a daily devotional to take with you today. I have promised to meet all your needs according to my glorious riches. Your deepest, most constant need is for my peace. I have planted peace in the garden of your heart where I live. But there are weeds growing there too. Pride, worry, selfishness, unbelief. I am the gardener that I am. I am the gar. I am the gardener and I am working to rid your heart of those weeds. I do my work in various ways. When you sit quietly with me, I shine the light of my presence directly into your heart. In this heavenly light, peace grows abundantly and weeds shrivel up. I also send trials into your life when you trust me in the midst of trouble. Peace flourishes and weeds die away. Thank me for troublesome situations. The peace they can produce far outweighs the trials you endure. Thank you all for tuning into this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all have a great day and God bless each and every one of you.